I think that uh, there is probably one of uh, no greater uh, promise in the New Testament for us, especially in this age, than what is found in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Uh, I want to read that for us as we enter into this time of Lent, because it's important for us to understand what Jesus is inviting us into. He's inviting us into a season of rest, and yet many of us think that we're just going to slide into that, uh, especially during this season of Lent or any other season. There's this also interesting concept in Hebrews 4 that says we must strive to enter into God's rest. That there's something that's waging war against us to find the promises that God has for us if we would heed the call that Jesus puts out there when he says this in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely, and not lonely, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I don't have to go, time to go into all the agricultural language that he's using there, but let the promise stand um, sure in our hearts that if we come to him, he will give us rest. But I wonder what lengths we'll go to to go to him. I wonder what links we'll go to to follow him, especially if he's not in the comfy, cozy confines of our couch or the suburbs. Oh, we're already, we're already getting on somebody over here, right? I wonder what would happen if we realized that the the, the, the command and the call and the invitation for us to come to him to find rest isn't the Jesus that's in our living room, but he's out in the wilderness somewhere. What do we do with that Jesus that says, come to me? And then he says, and there's gonna be some trial and some tribulation and some difficulty along the way. Yes, I'm always with you, but the deeper Waters of the faith may come when we have to inconvenience ourselves to strive to go and be with him. What lengths would we go to to heed the call to come to me? What if we had to venture out into the desert, into the wilderness to go find Jesus? Because as the Fergusons just read in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, that's where Jesus started his ministry. If you know anything about um, the, the narrative of Matthew, you find that right at the end of Matthew 3, Jesus gets baptized and there's this great declaration over him of his identity that truly you are the son of God. And in, like, the, the father is speaking out that this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And the next thing that happens is Matthew 4.1, which we just read. And it says, and then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness, into the desert, into the desolate place why? It doesn't say where he was tempted. To be tempted by the devil. So we're going to go through Matthew 4, 1 through 11 for the next six weeks, 11 verses, six weeks, slowly but surely and steadily. And today is just really verse 1 thematically as we enter into or at least hear the call of Jesus out in the desert 
saying to each one of us, come to me and you'll find rest. That's where he is during Lent. He's out in the desolate places. I wonder what barriers or what lines we've drawn around God to not follow him. It's too inconvenient. Um, It's too uncomfortable. Um, Whatever excuse that we may have, you see, the wilderness will invite us to consider our deepest value. Will our deepest value be comfort or will our deepest value be Christ? And I'll say this, I'll submit this to us as we begin. God rarely inhabits comfortable spaces. He's there, but it's real hard to find him. So as we consider that, I just think this Lenten season is a season, if you don't know what Lent is, you've never journeyed through Lent, maybe you grew up Baptist and you're like, man, Lent's Catholic, I don't get it. I feel you, I understand. Um, we, we just celebrated our first Ash Wednesday gathering in the backyard of Blockhouse on Wednesday night. Beautiful time where we came together with another church, Renaissance. We just kind of collaborated and, and invited the community to get into the wilderness. If you miss that, this is your inauguration or your invitation into that season. It's this season of confession. It's this season of, of, of preparation, of renewal, of repentance that we need to undergo in view of Good Friday and in view of Easter. I don't know about you, but have you ever had an Easter season where you get to like the Holy Week and you're like, oh my gosh, it's already here. You, 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 this happens every Easter. This happens every Christmas. That all of a sudden it's like, oh gosh, Christmas Eve is like right around the corner and I, I better start shopping. It sneaks up on us if we're not ready and Lent is this Really beautiful time on the Christian calendar to slow us down, call us to preparation, of, to, to repentance, to confession, and ultimate dependence upon God. It's a beautiful time. It's my favorite time on the calendar. And today, as we enter into that time, we are going to talk about this invitation into the wilderness that Jesus puts before us so that we might start to practice some of the ancient practices of the face, particularly this week of silence and solitude. It's there in the wilderness when we're alone with our own thoughts and with the Spirit that we learn to depend on the voices, the voice of the Spirit, where He will purge us of our sin and He will make us ready for resurrection. Now, this is already heavier than normal, right? Uh, it's a little bit more intense than normal, but let me just say, like, let not this invitation scare you, let not the reality scare you away from this journey with him because the reward of rest will be worth the risk of withdrawing from the noise. The reward of rest will be worth the risk of withdrawing from the noise of our lives. So my invitation for us today is to heed the call from Jesus and to plead with him to reorder our lives and our love so that we might find Jesus is our greatest treasure. And in, we finding, in our finding of Jesus as our greatest treasure, what we will also find is that we are truly treasured by the king. If we would just go away with him, if we would just... Go be silent and be alone with him. That's the invitation for us. So what would motivate us to this kind of pace? What would motivate us to this sort of trajectory alone into a desert? Like nobody is in here going, nobody probably has vacationed to a desert unless it's some random millennial spot that you do. Like I don't get it, but that's where you go, right? Um, you go camp out. No one usually is, is thinking about, I'm gonna go to the desert this summer. Not usually a place that we think of as a 
uh, a destination. But Jesus is calling us out. And so why would we do that? Well, the first thing is, is that um, the 40 days that Jesus is in the desert during this time, uh, this temptation of Jesus, where he says he went out into the, to the desert to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, that was a, it was a regular rhythm of Jesus to go out into the wilderness, It was not just the inauguration of his ministry, the beginning of his ministry. It was a constant rhythm for the like the best life that was ever lived. Was a time out into the wilderness, into the desert. And the word in the New Testament is all the same: wilderness, desert, or desolate place. And so I want you to see this in the scriptures. Mark 1:35, very early on in his ministry, this is what Jesus was known for. He says, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. When's the last time you woke up early while it was still dark? Uh, my wife has, has somehow decided to put, and I'm not talking about to go to work, by the way, or because your kid is crying, but my wife has opened up the blinds in our, in our bedroom, and um, my kid, like Ellie, asked me, what's the best part of your day on Thursday? And I go, you know what the best part of my day was? Was waking up by the sunlight coming through my uh, through, my, through my bedroom. And now it's happened every day. We haven't closed the blinds and it's just this beautiful reminder that God is waking us up with his mercy every morning. But look, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And what did he do there? He communed with his father and he prayed. This was a normal rhythm not just in the beginning of his ministry, not just as a test by the devil, but it was also where he went to remind himself of what was important. If you look at Luke 5, 15 and 16, it says, but now even more the report about Jesus went abroad. He's healing lepers, he's healing people, and his reputation is going viral, right? And the report about him went abroad. It went everywhere, and great crowds gathered to hear him. His ministry is exploding. People are coming to hear and see that Jesus is the Messiah, and they're gonna be healed of all their infirmities, but, gotta love that, but, He, what would Jesus do in response to all this? He would often withdraw to desolate places and pray. No matter how important we think we are, we're probably not more important than Jesus. Just no matter how uh, difficult and busy life gets, no matter how big the demands are in your email inbox or at work or wherever it may be, it didn't compare to the sort of demands that were on Jesus to heal people. And what was his answer? Hey, let's get away from this place. Let's go pray. And he didn't just do it by himself. He invited his disciples as well. In Mark 6, verse 31. And he said to them, his disciples, hey guys, this is getting crazy. Like the feeding of the 5,000, we haven't had time to even eat ourselves, the Bible says right before this. We haven't even had time to eat. So guys, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a little while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. Your, your life feel that way? Moms of young babies, your life feel that way? No leisure even to eat. No, we, we, with like parents, moms and dads, parents of young kids, you retreat to the bathroom to go get five minutes by yourself. Come, come, come away with me for a little while. Jesus is saying to all 
of us. If this was a regular rhythm for the greatest life that was ever lived by the greatest person that ever lived, what does it say about our lives? What does it say about the rhythms in our own hearts and the way that God has designed us to reset? Maybe all of this is really good and helpful, but not most, the most important thing. What does it say about our lives to, for the invitation to go away, find rest, to get away from people's needs, to get away from pouring out for others, to go and just simply be with God, for he is longing to be with us. So that's the invitation. That's the reason why we go into this desolate place, this, 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 this wilderness, this desert. That's the reason, because it's, it's ultimately the rhythm of Jesus, And if we want to, we just, like Stephen started off our gathering, um, right? Stephen started our gathering by saying that our mission is inviting all people to follow Jesus in all of life. We just had a partnership class yesterday where we we unpacked all of that. And one of the things that we talked about was Jesus's life is worth emulating, if that's true. And a regular rhythm of his was to go and be alone. What does that say about our lives? Purposeful, wilderness, desolate places. But we have a problem, don't we? I know I can, we have a problem. We're gonna unpack it. Here's the problem. We are addicted to pace. We are addicted to people. And we are addicted to production. We're addicted to all these different things. And so the, the, the mantra of the technology age, this digital world is bigger, better, faster, stronger. The NFL combine was on this week and they put it on TV just to make basically middle-aged men cry is what I think it's for. Like, oh, I used to be an athlete, not like that. Those, those dudes are crazy. Bigger, better, faster, stronger. That is the mantra of our digital age. And if we produce 30 at work, they want 60, right? If you're in sales, this is what happens. A quarterly sales meeting. Hey, good news, guys. Your, your, your quota is, a, is, is 30. Awesome, we can do that. We're gonna nail that. Oh, good, you're gonna nail that? Well, next time, we're gonna get 60 out of you. And next time, we're gonna get 70 out of you. There never seems to be enough. If we have 1,000 followers on social media, we want 10,000. If we make 60 grand in a year, we want 70. How much is enough? How much money is enough? How many friends are enough? How much productivity is enough? And the answer, inevitably, in the human heart is just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. If I could just put in a little bit more work, a little bit more of this, it will yield a little bit more of that. And God is inviting us to break away from all of that. You see, Jesus' life was not a life that was marked by pace. Did you know that like, he never runs in the Gospels? You never see him running. Oh, Jairus, your, your, your daughter is near death? Okay, cool. We'll just take our time and get there along the way. Oh, Lazarus is almost dead? Oh, he's dying. Okay, we'll stay here for four days. His pace is different than ours. He's never in a hurry. He, he is not marked by people. He limited his time with people. He was not marked by production. He poured into 12. And you know where they were at the end of his ministry? Hiding. See, if by all the marks that we use to measure success, Jesus was a failure, and so there must be something different about his life and about our lives as people that are purposing to follow this Jesus. See, 
A life with Jesus is found not by gaining the whole world, but by tending to the life on the vine. By abiding in Jesus as we learn his pace and his presence. So Jesus needs downtime. He's away from people. His deepest longing was to be with his father, to hear his voice. That was the deepest longing of his soul. What is the deepest longing of yours? And you might think to yourself, well, I, if it's, we're going to follow Jesus, the deepest longing of my soul will be also to hear the Father's voice. Could be. And if that's you, awesome. You should teach us a little bit about what that looks like in your regular rhythms. But if we did a little bit of an inventory of this week, what would be the thing that really uh, expresses itself as the deepest longing of our heart? There's this great book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by a pastor named John Mark Comer. I'm gonna put it out in our resources this week on GroupMe, if you're not on that. I, put, I try to push out resources every week after the sermon. And um, in the, the, the introduction of that book, uh, John Ortberg puts down some stats for us. Can you guess how many times the average person, the average smartphone user touches their phone per day? Mm, they've done studies on this. How many times does an average smartphone user touch their phone per day? 2,617 times. Two thousand. Hear it again. 2,617 times. Right now, there's a phrase going on in your mind. Not me. I'm in the 2,000 range. Woo-hoo! If you cut it in half, congrats. The average smartphone user, you know the deepest longing of our hearts is to answer that ding, is to be liked, to be needed, to somehow feel connected when we're really not. And somehow that phone fools us into thinking, you don't know this, like, I, I, so here's the deal. I'm not banging on social media. I'm not banging on technology. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not against all that. I have a smartphone. I'm on social media. So don't hear me saying that all those things are evil. What they do instead is they reveal what's in our hearts. By how we interact with one another on social media, my goodness. By, by the things that we care about with social media. Like right now, I don't have my phone up here. I feel a little naked. It's over there. It's like, oh man, I don't have my phone. My wife can't get a hold of me. She's in the next room. She can get over here if she needs to teaching. So here's the deal, right? But here's what I think. Like in the 40s and the 50s, smoking was like the social thing um, until they started to regulate it. In the 70s and 80s, if you grew up in the 70s and 80s, you didn't wear a car. You didn't wear a car seat. You were in the back hump. You were on the back. That's where you slept on the car trips. You slept on the hump on the drivetrain, and that hump put you right to sleep. It was great. Or you were in the back of the station wagon or you're back of the window. Have y'all seen that in a while? No, go to India, you'll see it. Go to China, you'll see it. But like, it's like social media, I think, I think technology is gonna be the smoking of the 40s and 50s and lack of car seats in the 70s and 80s. At some point, we're all gonna grow up and start to regulate this stuff because it's not good for us. It's not safe. So all this just reveals what is really sick inside of our hearts. Technology reveals what our hearts really want to be seen as better than we are, to be included, 
to have a shortcut to fame and fortune. I mean, I'm watching, like trying to get my worship on, prepping for sermon prep, and all I can hear is an ad that's like, do you want to make a million dollars in 10 minutes? No, I don't. Look at this Lambo. Don't want it. And they just keep cutting in and cutting in and cutting in. Like, dude, I just want to worship. I need to pay for that YouTube music or whatever it may be. So it just reveals uh, to us these, these shortcomings of this world. So Lent is this time when we usually fast from food. Um, if you grew up Catholic, you, you fasted from meat, except for on Fridays. That was a cheat day. I don't know how that works, but it's cheat day. And you ate fish, right? Um, like so most of us will use Lent to like kind of get in shape. We'll, we'll fast from chocolate, right? Um, and so what if Lent wasn't a time to fast from things? Like my kids are like, I'm gonna give up homework for Lent. Cool. <laughs> Let me know how that works out. Uh, a couple years ago, like, like, like Ellie gave up cheeseburgers. And that was a thing she needed to probably give up. Girl loves some cheeseburgers, y'all. Takes after her dad. And pizza, she didn't give up pizza yet. She ain't ready for that. You know what she thought through though this year? She's like, I don't think I'll be able to do screens. I need to, but I don't think I'll be able to. And I said, well girl, what you don't need is every day for you to come home from school and feel condemned day after day after day. So let's work our way into that one. What can you do? Candy, all right, we're going with candy. And that's fine with me. But for all of us that aren't nine, maybe we don't give up candy. Maybe we don't give up chocolate. Maybe it's the excess screens. Like we, we can't just all of a sudden detox all the way. We have emails. We have to stay connected. That's our world. Um, yesterday, I was talking with Reese about like just the need to get off phones. And um, she was on her phone and she goes, did you have phones when you were growing up? And I was like, yeah, I mean, but like cell phones weren't invented until like I was well into college. Um, and she goes, what did you do? <laughs> and I was like, we had house phones. She goes, gross. <laughs> That's the world that they're growing up with. They can't even fathom a world without being connected through technology. They don't know the joys of a fluorescent swatch phone that you could talk on both sides. They don't know the joys of that and they never will. That, that gets robbed from them. Some of y'all are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. You didn't grow up when I grew up, it's fine. We don't need to give up chocolate, that's my point, right? We don't need to give up uh, things that don't matter in our lives. Instead, we need to give up the things that is robbing our joy. What would, what would I just, what would happen? You would probably fight me. That's why I can't do like a whole fast of social media for the whole church. You will immediately go, well, I don't need to do that. That's, that's good for you, but I'm good. But what if we gave up excessive screens? being known by other people in a superficial way and instead purpose to be known by the king of kings in the most intimate way. See, our hearts are longing for more and if we look at how spiritual leaders have invited people into the presence of God, what do you see? You see lights. You see noise. You see music. Sometimes you see smoke. And we see all this production and what, what about silence? Silence. What about solitude? What about what we're gonna do at the end of this? And it's one of my favorite days of, 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 of our gatherings because what about confession? When we get to the confession cloth, that's what's before you, these black cloths that we're gonna, we're gonna come to the table before communion and you're gonna write out sin 
in a black Sharpie on a black cloth and you're gonna see it disappear just like God views your sin. That though you carry it with you, 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 you bring it before the Lord and you write out your sins that you've just been carrying and then you just give it to him and eventually it just, it just dissipates just like he treats our sin that he flings it as far as the east is to the west. He removes it from us. And what if we did that in silence? What if we did that just amidst nothing else going on? To invite us into the awkward pleasure of being with God in silence. See, that's what we need to purpose to do because everything around us is noisy, it's fast, and it's full of people. And people are great. But we at times need to pull away just like Jesus did See, there's a purpose in the wilderness and it, it goes all the way through all of scriptures. And so let me uh, break this down for us uh, really briefly. You look at um, Exodus, right? The Exodus from Egypt with Israel. What happened? They were in the most technologically advanced country in the world, the greatest military power. Surely God could have orchestrated differently, it differently that he would set his people free from enslavement. He could have... Maybe he could have just used Joseph, who was in power, right? And be able to legislate their way out of that, but he didn't. Instead, what did he do? He took them out of the pace and the people and the productivity that the Pharaoh was putting on them, and he brought them out to the wilderness for 40 years. And I love this quote that I found from a rabbi this week. It says this. It says, the true goal of the Exodus was to take Egypt out of the Israelites, what kind of Egypt does God need to put out, pull out of you? What kind of sin, what kind of home, comfortable rhythms that you have in your life, faulty mindsets of slavery have you given yourself to for far too long that now they're just your normal rhythm and you do them without even thinking about it? What kind of sins does he need to purge from your soul so that you can find your true joy in him? If the Exodus wasn't enough, there's this guy named Hosea. A whole book was written about his life in the Old Testament. It's a prophet. In a book which parallels Hosea's marriage with a prostitute named Gomer, and it parallels God's call for Hosea to marry Gomer, and he says, this is just like my love for my people of Israel. In a, in, a, in a book that parallels those two types of relationships, God invites us to see that he does his most transformative and intimate work in the desert. Hosea chapter two, verse 11 and 14, I believe. Put this up here, let's see. Go to, yeah, is it 11? Nope, 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Go again, 15. Maybe. And there, look, and there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Accor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And then the next verse. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my idol, my Baal. It's in the wilderness, it's in the desert that God allures and speaks tenderly to his people to remind them that we are in an intimate relationship with him as husband, as dad. 
The desolate place is a holy place where God invites us to intimacy. He invites us into the slow process of transformation and transforming our hurried and anxious lives into lives which have the courage to wait for him. Today we had scripture memory. And we had four parts in the preschooler part. So I say, walk by the spirit. The spirit's never running either. What would happen if we just slowed down and walked in step with the spirit as he pursues us to draw us near? So how can we follow Jesus into this desolate place where you and I have nothing to offer, no one to ask you of anything, where you are laid bare with your limitations to meet even your own needs, and you're invited to remember that God has already met all your needs in Christ Jesus, and he is fully pleased with you, not because of your production or pace or the kind of person that you are, but instead because of all that he has done for you on the cross. It culminated in the cross. It started in the desert. So here's the grand invitation, to slow down to the soul's pace by doing this, by seeking solitude, but not isolation. Solitude, but not isolation. Solitude is choosing to abstain from the voices and the noises so that you can hear God's invitation to be still and know that I am God. Two more quotes from these giants in the spiritual formation world, one by Dallas Willard, the next by Henry Now. And Dallas Willard, who was known before his passing, uh, uh, really about his spiritual practices, he says this about solitude. Solitude, well-practiced, will break the power of busyness. You can just rephrase that, the mastery, the enslavement of busyness, haste, isolation, and loneliness. You will see the world is not on your shoulders after all. And you will find yourself and God will find you in new ways. And then Henry Nouwen says this, for all of us, this heed, it says, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. Listen to that last part. You do not take your spiritual lives seriously if you do not set apart time to simply be with God. Solitude, not isolation though. Solitude is a place of renewal. Isolation, a place of risk. Solitude puts you vulnerable in a vulnerable position with God Almighty. Isolation puts you in a a vulnerable position with your enemy. Solitude is life-giving, isolation life-sucking. Solitude finds rest in Jesus and isolation retreats into yourself. Solitude is a practice of those who are chasing after God and isolation is a strategy of our enemy who is chasing after you. 1 Peter 5, 8 would say this about isolation and our enemy. I want you to see what he's up to. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And how does a lion hunt? There's gonna be this picture that comes up behind me maybe. Yep, there it is. How does a lion hunt? The beauty of a lion's hunt is that they do it in a pride. 
Their strength is in numbers. And what do they do? Before you even know you're there or they're there, if you're a gazelle, where well, I'm talking to you as gazelles, I'm training you as gazelles right now. Before you even realize that the, en- the enemy, the, the devil, the lion is out there, what are they going to do? They're gonna send a decoy out and you're, all your eyes are gonna be on the decoy. So everybody in the herd is gonna be looking at that decoy. Meanwhile, behind you, you got eight or 10 lions lying in the grass and you don't even see them yet. And that's their strength. And so all of a sudden, the enemy will use a decoy, something that's really good, probably, to just kind of get your attention somewhere else. And sooner or later, that decoy starts to charge at you. And what happens? The herd thins out, everybody's confused, and they start to turn and run, and there's all sorts of chaos that breaks out. But what do the lions do? They still wait until something happens. The weak, the young, the old, the vulnerable peel off from the safety of the herd. They get isolated from the safety of the herd. And what do they do? They don't go after the rest of the herd. They don't just pick one and go for it. They wait to see who's vulnerable and who's isolated. And they go after that one together. Friends, if this is the scripture that God has put before us, that the enemy is around us, waiting to devour us, then surely we do need to be sober-minded about what's going on. We do need to be watchful and mindful of his schemes. He wants to isolate us, and so we'll start to tell ourselves uh, these things about community, these things about one another, right? They don't understand my struggle. And what happens? Just a little bit more isolated, they're unhealthy. Those people in there, I mean, they're crazy about Jesus. I ain't into that. They don't care. They don't really love me. They, they, they. And sooner or later, we just isolate and isolate and isolate. It doesn't even have to be amongst the church, broader family. This can be right next to the people that are sitting on the couch. They're sitting right there. But in their hearts, they've isolated. And they've drawn up some walls and some boundaries that they don't even see you anymore. They just know that, they, that you don't get them. You don't love them. You don't care for them. And all these lies start to isolate them. So sooner or later, they are isolated from the safety of the herd, right where the enemy wants them. But that is not the call to solitude. That is not the call into the wilderness with Jesus because we're not isolating ourselves, we're pursuing Jesus. We're pursuing the deepest communion that God's created us for and that is the one, the relationship between the God of the universe and us. See, Satan thought he had Jesus tricked. He thought, man, if he's out in the desert for 40 days, 40 nights, no food, no water, no nothing, I'm gonna get him. But Jesus was greater than him. Isn't that the promise in the scripture? 1 John 4, 4 that says, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we can have the courage to venture out into the wilderness because we are guarded. Jesus was ministered to by angels. The spirit was there to help them, help him. Surely we will be taken care of as well. So will we heed the call to go into the wilderness? Will we heed the call to go out 
and have our sins purged from us, our need to be liked, our need to be respected and cared for by others. We go and follow Jesus. We find our ultimate identity is found in Christ, with Jesus, by the power of his spirit. You see, his victory in the desert and on the cross is ours as we purpose to be present with the Prince of Peace who offers us rest as we withdraw from a world that is relentless in its demands and empty in its promises. You feel that in your world? Relentless in its demands and empty in its promises? See, that's the awareness, the be sober-minded, the be watchful, let's be watchful people during Lent. Let's journey into solitude with the Spirit. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we enter Lent, would you help us have a response to your invitation to go into the desolate places, the lonely places? It may be that we're we're in solitude right next to all the people that we love. Maybe we can't go out in the wilderness. Maybe we can't go to the hill country this weekend or go just take off and go to Colorado, wherever it may be. That's besides the point, Lord. Instead, may we find moments of solitude in our commutes, at home, in our cubicles, wherever it may be. Would you invite us into the quiet places where you speak to us, whisper to us, and remind us whose we are? Would you help us in this pursuit during this season? We love you. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.